What is up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Five Star Jobbers Podcast. I'm Cody. And I am a firefly and a funker for life. And as most of you probably know, within the wrestling world, we have suffered a tremendous amount of loss in two phenomenal individuals, the Hall of Famer, Terry Funk, and... Future the Eater, Hall of Famer. And future Hall of Famer, for sure. The Eater of Worlds, Bray Wyatt. I mean, this has just been a crazy week in professional wrestling. Really a crazy year, because we've suffered like, a tremendous amount of loss. We have, but it was just... I mean, honestly, it was a really crazy week. I mean, when you have All In, like you're working towards All In, um, and you've got just so much going on on both for both programs. And, you know, when... T- when uh, we found out about Terry earlier in the week. Right. It was, it was a shock, but it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't so much of a shock. It was. It's like one it, of those. It was like one you, of those that you knew was coming, and you just were not looking forward to it happening. Right. And so when it happened, it happened, and so you're like, man, this really stinks. And then not even 24 hours later, then you hear about Bray Wyatt, and you're like, wait, and, wait, wait, that. I mean, and it's almost like you have to do a double age. take. Yeah, exactly. It's like you have to do a double take on social media and be like, "Wait a minute, this can't be real. This has to be like clickbait or something." No, yeah, and, it, and but I, then sure know, enough, Triple H confirms it on his Twitter page that yeah. Wyndham Rotunda, aka Bray Wyatt, has unexpectedly passed away. Yeah, and I say WWE did a did a good job, you know, with very little turnaround time. Right. Um, I think they were definitely planning to probably spend more time honoring Terry on SmackDown, but then when what happened is they, you know, they definitely. Um, it was fantastic to, you know, unfortunately we only have, uh, two of the male Wyatt family members left at this point. Um, I am glad that they featured them that on the they show. Had, yeah, they had them on the show, you know, and, and that was, that was nice to see. Um, I'm sure Alexa probably would have been there had she, you know, been in the condition and the availability was scheduling. I said, it's just right. quick turnaround time. Um, but I mean, it's a, it's a loss to, to a man, to his family, to their, to his wife, to his children, to the wrestling world. You know, I so said the wrestling world comes way, way beyond. You know, it's at the bottom of the list compared to, you know, he's got young kids that are, you know, they're unfortunately going to grow up not not getting to, to, you know, to have their dad at their their weddings and at their you know graduations. So I, mean, I, I can't know, imagine that for anybody. You know, I so say our hearts go out to. The Rotunda family to yes. the the children and and wife of of Wyndham Rotunda, um, you know our hearts and pr- prayers also go out, of course, to the Funk family because it doesn't matter how um, how old someone is or you know how long they've been on this earth when they're when they're not here anymore. Um, it's tough. It's tough. It's it's something that you're never gonna um, quite. You know, you get like a, you know with with close family members, you know they're gone. But you never quite settle into it, right? You know, there's always the oh man, I wish I could tell someone. I can't tell someone some of this story. It's exactly like it's one of those moments where you wish that you had more time because mm-hmm. we we take time with everybody for granted because yep. we always expect there to be tomorrow, but tomorrow's never promised. Nope, well, we know that, and that's why we uh, we live for today and we do the best that we can with what we're given. Exactly, um, and I want to encourage all of you guys because we're gonna talk a little bit more about Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt just from each perspective because. John has more of a broader perspective of Terry Funk just because he's someone that you've grown up with, and I'm more, oh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm more associated with Bray Wyatt just because yeah. he's someone that I've seen grow from NXT into what he was today. Yeah, I remember, so, the, I remember the first time I ever saw Terry Funk. It was in, he, when he was in ECW, and then uh, what's funny is is uh, then I saw him as Chainsaw Charlie right. in the WWF. Exactly. And... Um, you know, at that time, I didn't realize like all that he had done. And then, like over time, I grew up, and you know, as you do your history, you learn, wow, this guy, he's done everything. Exactly. Um, so yeah, he was he was he definitely was a pioneer of professional wrestling, and we would not have the wrestling world that we have now, if not for the contributions of Terry Funk. Absolutely. And I'll say the same thing. I, I don't think that our current product would look what it looks like right now without the contributions of Bray Wyatt. I agree hundred percent. I mean, Bray Wyatt is one of those individuals who was extremely gifted in all aspects. Mm-hmm. When he had a microphone in his hand, he was able to deliver 
killer promos. I mean, oh, yeah. had you captivated with Jake every single Jake the Snake Roberts level of, you know, being able That's to exactly draw. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, Jake the Snake Roberts is very methodical mm-hmm. and very just, what's the right word I'm looking for? Just kind of, I guess, enticing in a way. Mysterious. Like, yeah, mysterious, yeah. just really like hypnotizing, just kind yeah. of drawing you into what he had to say. Yep. It's, it's like just mythical, not mythical, but like um, almost prophetic mm-hmm. in a way. But also incredibly talented in the ring. Yeah, no, I mean, really, really talented in the ring. You know, he was a he was a bigger guy, but uh, he could go. He could be very right. quick. He could do things that you know a lot of very other big guys couldn't well. do. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it was the ring psychology and the creativity. I mean, the Firefly Funhouse. That's I'm, probably one of the best. I mean, I've never, I never done. saw you know I've never seen anything like the Firefly Funhouse. You know, in all my years of watching professional wrestling, you know, going back before, you know, my time, and then to say watching stuff that was, you know, just just recently, they he what he did and the creativity and and just incorporating that kind of a, I mean, animated characters, puppets, and yeah, I mean, any you, it was great. You think about it like in terms of on paper, and it's not like no, that's not professional wrestling, but he made it work, and not only did he make it work, he made it work so well. That you know, it's been mimicked and copied many times over now by by different people trying to, and I won't say that WWE did the best with Bray at at times. I think that uh, his genius, unfortunately, was not appreciated at the time of his existence. And right. I think it'll probably end up being one of those things that's more appreciated now that he's gone than it even was when he was here with us. Right. But. Um, I mean, just the every, everything he did to um, create the characters and the storylines that he that he created, it was it was different than anything you'd ever seen before. And in a world of professional wrestling that's been around for as long as it has been, being truly different is no easy task anymore. That's right. So I mean, and I want to encourage all of our listeners if you follow us on social media, which if you don't, how dare you? But also. Share with us on Facebook, Instagram. Share your favorite Terry Funk moment in wrestling. Share your favorite Bray Wyatt moment. We want to hear you guys. We want to hear your input on what these two amazing individuals meant to you and how they helped just grow your passion and your love or appreciation for professional wrestling. I have I have two favorite Terry Funk Yeah, because we're going to get into this a little bit. We are going to do reviews for All In. I know that's what the title of the episode says, so don't... Click off just yet because we are going to do reviews of All In. And plus, we're going to talk about the stipulations that we had for the loser of this. But we also want to talk about these two individuals. Can I be like Trump and demand a recount? I don't think so because, I mean, it's pretty much set in stone. All right. But what we want to do is just kind of have both of our takes because John knows more about Terry Funk than I do. And I know more, I would say I know mostly about Bray Wyatt. And so I want to just kind of give it to John so that way he can kind of share. Some of the things that Terry Funk really just did for him, or just inspired him, or what he enjoyed about Terry. Well, Funk. like I just said, I, there there are two really great memories I have of Terry, and they're and honestly, like in his lineage of everything he's done, these are probably some of the lesser things, but they're just to me they're they're awesome. Um, there there's a match in ECW, and uh, there, there's a moment where Terry is is getting his his comeback. And he asks, he he looks around, and I guess he was looking for a chair. Right. And there wasn't a chair where there was supposed to be a chair. And so then he, he goes, I need a chair. And he said it loud enough that the crowd could hear it. And at that very moment, uh, everybody who was within earshot of Terry throws a chair into the ring. <laughs> and we're talking like a hundred chairs, folding right. chairs being thrown over the guardrail, over the ropes, into the ring. Like, he's having to dodge yeah. chairs because Terry Funk asked for a chair. Darn it, Terry Funk gets a chair. Exactly. Um, and then another one of my favorite uh, Terry Funk moments, and this has this is not even a wrestling moment. Uh, well, it's a wrestling moment, but it's not a Terry Funk wrestling moment. Is uh, So Terry was one of the agents slash producers for uh, the Hell in a Cell match, the King of Ring 98 with Mick Foley and The Undertaker. Right. And um, there's a part in the match where, where Terry comes out, and as the story's told from by Mick Foley and by The Undertaker at this point, um, 
Terry's legitimately coming in to, to check on the situation, but he's also coming in to kind of buy time because everyone realizes Mick needs a little bit of breathing room right now. Um, and Taker's also has, has admitted that he was hesitant to move forward. I mean, even after the first toss. Right. So Terry goes in there, and then they work it out to basically buy time. But, you know, Terry's not – he's not a wrestler at the time. He's an agent, so he, he's dressed like an agent. He's, he's in comfortable clothes. And then The Undertaker, you know, choke slams him, and his new balances fly off when he hits the ground. Right. And there's just something very funny about Terry Funk getting choke slammed out of his shoes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we're, so we're talking about a guy who – um, many people will say, you know, along with mankind is one of the pioneers of hardcore wrestling. 100%. Uh, you know, him and Cactus Jack Foley yep. uh, were members of the Deathmatch Society. They they competed in the tournament, the King of the Deathmatch over in Japan. Um, and, you know, just, to, just for those of you who don't know Terry Funk, I want to just give you kind of a general overview of the guy. Um, you know, so Terry... And his brother, Dory, they came in the wrestling together. Second generation wrestlers. Uh, Terry won his first NWA title. Uh, and I want to say it was like 75, which I think he was like, he'd been in the wrestling business for like 10 years. Other, but but he, he beats uh, Jack Briscoe for the NWA world title. Um, and Jack Briscoe was a long-standing champion for the NWA world title. So that's that's a huge thing. And then uh, he, he held the title for 14 months before losing it to Harley Race. So, uh, yeah, those are some pretty big names. And uh, this is the guy who wrestled with the Sheik, and the original Sheik and Abdullah the Butcher, as well as Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody in Japan. So there's a lot of people who don't come back in one piece from Japan after wrestling just one of those guys. Right. He wrestled every single one of them and still had eyeballs in his eye socket, which, you know, Vader can't say that. Right. And uh, Mick Foley wrestled Vader in Japan and lost an ear. <laughs> um, and so, the you know, I think that probably the world will remember his greatest match being the I Quit match with Ric Flair at Clash of Champions. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you guys aren't really fo- oh, you know fully aware of, of who Terry Funk is and, and, and what he's all about, please, you know, search him up on YouTube, Google him. Uh, go back and watch the the dumpster match between Chainsaw Charlie Terry Funk, Cactus Jack McFoley versus the New Age Outlaws at WrestleMania 14. It's a fantastic match. And then the very next night, they they wrestle in a steel cage. Um, Terry Funk's the man, y'all. Uh, probably one of my favorite all time wrestlers, and he will be very much missed. Absolutely. And I'll just kind of give like a little brief summary of Bray Wyatt. I mean. When you look at Bray Wyatt, I'll just say his real name, uh, Wyndham Rotunda comes from a lineage of professional wrestlers. Like his second or third? He's a third generation third wrestler. Gen- his yeah. uh, grandfather's Black Jack Mulligan. Yep. His dad is uh, uh, Mike Rotunda, Mike but Rotunda. also known as IRS. Yep. And then, of course, his brother was Bo Dallas. And so wrestling was pretty much a part of Bray's life. Mm-hmm. And so he comes into the uh, developmental territory of NXT. He was repackaged as Bray Wyatt. He started off with whenever NXT was like a reality show-ish kind yeah, of the, thing. Yeah, the competition. Yeah, the he competition. Was... And he was known as Husky Harris. Mm-hmm. But then they rebranded him whenever NXT became its own developmental promotion. And he was rebranded as Bray Wyatt. And he was portrayed as this villainous leader of the Wyatt family. as this bayou-dwelling cult. Yeah. And basically returned to uh, the main roster alongside his members who are Luke Harper, rest in peace, to John Hoover, and Eric Rowan. And so he is a three-time world champion in WWE. Mm -hmm. He's held the WWE Championship once, the Universal Championship twice as The Fiend, I believe. Yep. And then also held the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. With Matt Hardy. uh, Actually, that was Randy Orton and Luke Harper. Oh, yeah, he held it with Randy Orton. He held the Raw Tag Team Championships with Matt Hardy. With Matt Hardy, yep. The, uh, The Deleters of Worlds, as they were called. Yep. But... Bray Wyatt is one of those just creative individuals who was able to put great stories together and put great characters together. I mean, The Fiend was probably one of his greatest creations 
throughout his career, I would oh, think. Oh, without a doubt. I think the Firefly Funhouse is also one of the greatest segments that they that he's put together or that he came up with. I do the muscle and man I think, dance every morning when I get out of the shower. Exactly. I have the song playing in my head over and over again. We're really glad that you're our friend. And this is the friendship that'll never, ever end. And I'm trying to remember the characters. Uh, of course, well, you had Huskis, which yeah. was... Which was Huskis? Making fun of his Husky Harris right. character. There's the pig uh, with the sweatband on his head. And then you had... Uh, the buzzard. I can't the remember. The buzzard. You had... I can't remember who the squirrel was. You mean the rabbit? The rabbit, yeah. Uh, uh, Ramblin' Rabbit. Ramblin' Rabbit, yeah. Ramblin and then, of course... Sister uh, Abigail. Yep. Yeah. And so th- that whole segment... Had, they had Vince McMahon with devil horns on. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that whole segment was just creatively... Just creative genius. That was absolutely It was one of those fantastic. things... Like you said, it's one of those things that on paper was like, really, this looks stupid. But in, in practice... He made it work. He made it work to a T. And then I remember the whole introduction to the, of The Fiend. I, I thought in my head, this guy is going to absolutely destroy I'm a everybody. Grown, I'm a grown anything. man. And when I saw that Fiend mask, that... Oh, it terrified me. That was unnerving. Yeah. Like, oh, especially after, because whenever him and Randy Orton had the feud going on, when Alexa Bliss was by his side, mm-hmm. when he came back to this, like, Freddy Krueger-esque fiend, oh, yeah. that was just even more terrifying. Yep. It was, I mean, how he evolved that character, because let's face it, it was not, the character was great, the booking was terrible, and so what Bray, what really impressed me with Bray was being able to take the blows to that character and continuing to find ways to make it work and be believable. Exactly. And I you mean, kind of talked about one of your favorite moments with Terry Funk. One of my favorite moments, I think, was this is early on whenever Wyatt was uh, the Bayou kind of cult uh, member. It was a steel cage match with him and John Cena. And I remember at the end of the match, well, towards the end of the match, Cena had the door open and was about to walk down the steps when, of course, the lights go out and spotlight comes back on and there's this little kid at the bottom of the steps with a microphone singing, he's got the whole world in his hands in this deep, demonic voice. And it just makes Cena back up slowly like, what the heck is going on? I remember watching that and just thinking, like, I remember him saying in an interview that he does not want, he didn't want to be the next Undertaker. Because a lot of people were saying that he's pretty much like a modern day Undertaker. But I I would go against that because he's not the Undertaker. No, he not is, at all. He is his own entity. He is his own character. Granted, he does have the same kind of mind games to a T that the undertaker did, but it's all in different, I guess, perspective. He definitely did things his own way. Like if you want to sit there and say that, you know, he had influences, of course he had influences. You can definitely see Jake, the snake in there. You can see undertaker in there. Um, you know, I would, I would put a little bit of Kane as well in there. Um, you know, but a lot of that's just Wyndham and his creativity. And like I said, I don't, I don't think there's ever going to be a, a mask or a character that is as unnerving as the fiend was. Oh, never Oh, never in a million years. Will there ever be anybody as terrifying as the fiend? Yeah. So I don't think so. I mean, boogeyman but, looks well, boogeyman like, was looks just like, a worm eating freak. And yeah. I mean, he was, it was a comedy act. And what was funny about with Bray is that he could be a comedy act one second but then, and like then a light switch, the light switch, off. and then he would be unnerved, and that's what really made it unnerving. You know, you sit there and you go back and watch some of the Firefly Funhouse, and just some of some of the very subliminal, and then some of the a little bit more overt flips, exactly from haha to very dark. Yes, um, that's the best part of the whole thing. Is when you got somebody who is unpredictable. Um, anybody who knows me knows my favorite uh, comic book hero is Batman and my favorite villain is Two-Face. Right. And the reason I've always loved Two-Face is because unlike every other villain and pretty much every other uh, creative line of comic book characters or, or whatever lore, a bad guy's a bad guy's a bad guy. The bad guy does whatever the bad guy can do that's bad. Exactly. You know, like, oh, what's the bad guy going to do? I don't know. What's a bad thing that could be done right here? That's what he's going to do. Whereas like Two-Face was, well, he might do that. He might actually do something good. He you might do know. nothing at all. You you don't know. It's a, he he would put it up to to chance. And sometimes he would take chance in his hands, but sometimes he straight up would, you know, accept the fate of the coin. Right. And so that's always more intriguing than, you know, well, he's he's a bad guy. He's gonna do bad guy things. Exactly. Uh, the fiend wasn't just 
a one-sided comp, you know, one-sided character where it's like, oh, he's a bad guy. He's going to do bad guy things. Well, yeah, but he's also going to do some stuff that's entertaining, or he also might do something that's not necessarily bad given the context of the situation. So yeah, um, that's that's a plus. That's a plus storytelling and. Um, I will say it's, there, it's, there it's something always... that we're that you say we, we lost that we lost that over the course of the week um, and uh, we'll, we'll continue to mourn that and we mourn with our with our listeners and fellow uh, professional wrestling fans um, reach out guys talk to us about it you know we wrestling fans don't like to do anything more than talk about wrestling so. exactly we love to hear your opinions we love to hear your output I mean just let us know what your thoughts are on these great individuals, what you like about them, what your favorite moments are. Share it on social media. Give these guys the much-deserved adoration and appreciation that they deserve. Absolutely. All right, I'm sick and tired of being uh, sad and gloomy and gopy. I want to go back to being uh, surly, angry, and somewhat funny to laugh at. Well, that's perfect, because we're about to get into some reviews right now. Yeah, we're going to find out why I'm about to be a couple uh, ounces of hair uh, lighter in the near future. You ready for, for, for some reviews? No, but yeah, <laughs> let's do it. All right. Well, I will say, we had our ideas for how we the sucked, night was going to go. We were off completely. Well, for the most part. I mean, uh, just as far as storytelling goes, as how we thought the storyline was going to go for the most part throughout the night, we were off. We were by off. A clear if mile. this was if we had put our money in DraftKings, this this would have been Oh, a, we would have uh, lost tons of money. We would have lost a lot of money. Uh and we'll be the first to admit it, you know, like we we think we have this thing called professional wrestling down to a science, but you know what? It's not a science, it's an art and sometimes art sucks. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, he might and, just be a little biased just cuz he's about to lose some <sighs> armpit hair. Yeah, no, it was a good show. Um I'm still taking it all in. I'm not going to lie. Like I'm still kind of digesting like i'm excited to see where they go from here with a lot of stuff because they definitely subverted my expectations and they they definitely did it in a way that made sense so right. i'm not angry with being wrong because there what there is an angle where that where a lot of these things make sense so i was just kind of putting that in context as we go forward um but at the end of the day i'm just justifying my own wrongness so you know <laughs> it is what it is all right, let's go ahead and get into the zero hour here. So we had two matches during the zero hour. I'm not going to talk. We're not going to talk a whole lot about Grado and Jeff Jarrett. The segment. Oh, I didn't count that. Yeah. I don't even count yeah, that. That I'm, segment was just that's, funny. That's for the that's for the fans who were there. You know, as they're coming in, uh, give them an opportunity to go find their seats and go take a take a whiz. Exactly. So the first match during the zero hour, we have Aussie Open defending the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships against Better Than You Bay Bay. And we both we both called this going to Aussie Open. We were expecting to see a turn to hype up the championship match. That did not happen. No. We end up seeing these two guys win the tag team championships. Of course, MJF pulls out. I've never seen a bigger pop or a <laughs> double drop kick in my entire a, a, a life. A double drop kick to the, was it to the bottoms? Oh, no, yeah. it was to the chest. To the chest, yeah. So but the, yeah, kanga, the, like kangaroo the kangaroo kick, kick got so much pop. I think that was probably one of the top ten moments, or I would say best moments in AEW. Hey, in a world full of uh, in a world full of super kicks, kangaroo kick, it's the best. Like the Bucks haven't done that one too many times yet. So kangaroo I'm, I'm, kick party. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready for a kangaroo kick party. Party of one. Oh yeah, but <laughs> man, this match was just. Great from Bell. It was to a, Bell. it was a good match. It was one of those matches. So I say you're you're watching the whole time, expecting the turn. You're expecting to see one of them double cross the other, <clears throat> and it doesn't happen. And there's a lot of openings for it, and there was a lot of tease. Um, I mean, they you know, and they 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 said they're like you know, are they is Adam Cole going to let MJF wrestle in here and and wear himself out? Is and vice versa. So the the announce team did a phenomenal job of building up the tension as well. That's. You know, I think one of those things that goes unspoken a lot of times is, you know, the announced team's ability to get something over and to increase the tension and the anxiety of, of the match itself. Exactly. So, I mean, it was it was really well built. The match was fantastic. They win. You know, uh, they get they do the double clothesline. Of course. The world's worst tag team it's the, move. It is the simplest of moves, Honestly, but it I gets feel the like biggest the, pop. I feel like the kangaroo kick is more devastating than the double clothesline. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, it got the win, but yeah, yep. it, it's it's just the buildup. 
It's it's it, like it's I said, build it's, up it's all it. about crowd interaction. It's about knowing how to to work with the fans, and you know, guy like guys like MJF and Adam Cole. I mean, this has got to be great for Adam Cole. He's having one of the best runs he's had in a long time, performing in front of you know a eighty thousand over eighty one thousand fans. Yeah, and you Not know, quite because I mean, they said that they set a record, but. Technically, that record still holds with WrestleMania, as far as like the biggest. So I, I, so somebody somebody made the legalistic argument to me the other day, and I one hundred percent bought into this. What does WWE call itself? World Wrestling Entertainment. Entertainment. Yeah. Okay. I, what I what do they What do they call their their wrestlers? Superstars or entertainers. Sports entertainment. Sports entertainment. Yeah. So technically, yeah. WWE, all WWE slash WWF events are sports entertainment events. Right. AEW is a professional wrestling company that puts on professional wrestling events. Yeah, so, that's true. I, I I will give it that. Yeah. As far as, as professional a, as a wrestling, mar- as a marketing executive, I'm all about the uh, uh, verbal loopholes. Right. And so I will say, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll, but yes, you are correct. If we're talking about straight up. Uh, a ring with turnbuckles and guys walking in wearing speedos to music. If we're talking about the same wonderful, wonderful artistic uh, endeavor, the uh, was 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 it WrestleMania three at the? No, it was actually WrestleMania <clears throat> thirty something. I can't remember. They were in uh, Texas. New Orleans or Texas. It was Texas. Where it was over a hundred thousand. Yeah, it was like one hundred one thousand, I believe. Okay, so yeah, so, that would have been it. So yeah, yeah. as far as like. Wrestling, well, not wrestling, like wrestling promotions go. Yeah. WWE has still holds the record for the biggest yeah. attendance. If we're calling it professional but wrestling. If we're calling professional wrestling. AEW has the biggest yep. attendance. So I mean, you just take you look at that match and you look at, at at what they're doing, and they're wrestling twice in one night at the biggest professional wrestling pay per view in in history, and that's a lot. I mean, just you just think about the magnitude of that in general, like the prep time. You know, the amount that you're giving themselves, but they're working so smart that this match gets over. This match is entertaining. This match is a quality match, but they're not having to kill themselves no. twice in one night to entertain the fans twice in one night. So, exactly. uh, I, I love the match. I, I love the work rate. I love the psychology. I love them winning. It's not what we predicted. But I'm okay with it. Yeah, honestly, uh, I was okay with it because just this brought so much entertainment yeah. for the first match. So then we get to the next match. Hook versus Jack Perry for the FTW Championship. And I this mean, is a great match if Jack Perry could keep his stupid mouth shut, not create issues that are un- absolutely unnecessary, I'm, and just I'm do his Jack job. Perry. I mean, I'm done with Jack Perry. I mean, I, it's so much unnecessary I love, tension. I love the it's Jack like, Perry, the, the heel Jack Perry, and I've been saying, I mean, anybody who's been listening to this knows that I'm a fan of Jungle Boy Jack Perry, and I was calling for the the, the removal of Jungle Boy and to see a heel turn, and I love what he's been doing. But if the guy, <clears throat> if the child can't be a professional, he doesn't need to be carrying any torches, and he needs to be learning some lessons. And there might be—I'm sure there are people listening to this that they think that I'm the biggest CM Punk homer in the world. Um, you're probably right, but I'm going to stand on this one here. CM Punk didn't want a young professional wrestler to use real glass as a prop in a match during a collision not necessarily for this particular match but the original issue stems from an issue between jack perry and cm punk from when when jack was making i guess his collision debut and he was going to wrestle and he wanted to use real glass and punk said we're not doing that that's not how we are here and guess what CM Punk at one point was the biggest professional wrestler in all of the industry. Exactly. For the biggest promotion in the in the industry. Why don't you shut your mouth, young boy? And listen to this guy listen, who's been in this a lot longer than you and has some ideas that are much better than yours. Yeah, he, because you're still... I'm not going to say he's green, but he's still young. He's still oh, yeah. got... Plenty of time ahead of his, him well, to try I'm and saying, build. Well, he his bump card's not nearly as full as CM Punk's bump card is. Nowhere and near. And Punk's sitting there trying to help you maintain your bump card. He's sitting there trying to tell you you don't need to do all that to get over. Right. And you see, case right. in point, the match that came on right before them, there was no 
broken glass. There was no major violent acts. That and that match was moreover and had more crowd interaction than this one did. Exactly. And so that's that, and that's what I said. I I'm not going to defend every action of CM Punk, but what I will defend is CM Punk being one of the most. Edu- you know, we'll say if you want to call it educated, but one of the most, uh, he has his credentials. Yeah. Like one of the guys who everybody who is not CM Punk should sit down and listen and go, this guy's made more money in professional wrestling than I've ever dreamed of. Right. Maybe I maybe I should listen to him. I mean, he sat under the learning tree of all Paul these different guys. Of Paul Heyman. Uh, one of the Eddie greatest, Guerrero. One of the greatest creative minds in professional wrestling. You don't think that he's taken a note or two from this guy mm-hmm. and knows what works and what doesn't, what's necessary, what's not necessary in a match? You don't have to continuously use weapons or use all these death match tactics in every single match to get you over. There are people that that's their specialty, like yep. John Moxley, Darby Allen, guys like that. Like that's what they're known for. Like that's what they're thing is. Yeah, and they you don't they have can to barely walk by the time they're in their forties. Exactly. These are the guys. That are going to be like Mick Foley. Yeah, and, and as long as they're okay with being Mick Foley, you can do that. Yeah, but even yeah, Mick Foley, even no Mick Foley says to, it on every podcast he talks about, don't be me. Right, I mean, because no disrespect to Mick Foley, because I mean, he did what he thought was best. And Mick Foley's he one knew. of my top favorite yeah. wrestlers of all time. Oh and, yeah, he's and, one, of and one of the greatest. I love Mick Foley. Seems like one of the greatest people in professional wrestling. And that's the thing, is is that he's he will never sit there and say that he regrets his career. And he will talk about, you know, some of his own, like, his athletic shortcomings and why he chose to do what he chose to do. Yeah. But he says it all the time in, in his podcast with uh, with Conrad and in any other interviews where he talks about specifically um, older, more seasoned wrestlers telling him to choose when he did certain bumps. You know, and him learning, oh, yeah, this bump is not for this time. This right. bump, if I'm going to do this, I want to do this like once or twice, not every every night. Exactly. Because the more you do those bumps where you only need to do them once, like every so often, yeah. and you keep doing those every night, it's going to take a toll on you, and your, your career is going to be cut short. Yep. And, I mean, you look at guys like, uh, you know, you look at Jeff Hardy right now, and he's wrestling, and... You know, yeah, Jeff Hardy is, he's still, is, is no he's spring still, chicken. He's still able to carry himself. He's still himself, able to go. But his bump card is like out. But yeah, every time you watch him do Whisper in the Wind, it takes him. It's a painful whole lot to longer. watch him work because you know how much pain he's in. Exactly. And you love the guy, and you're like, I love watching Jeff Hardy. Mm-hmm. But you know, at this point, I'd rather just see him, you know, as a manager or as some kind of a, you know, in some way, shape, or the form, but not in the ring because his bump card's full. And that's all that CM. I'm sure that's all CM Punk was doing with Jack Perry is saying, "Hey, young kid, you don't need to. I I know you're you're being surrounded by the young bucks mm-hmm. and the Kenny Omegas and the John Moxleys, and there's all these people that are telling you you got to kill yourself to you know put on a good show. And I'm telling you right here and now, you that's don't. that's not the case. Right. So um, no, I'm. But put the politics mm-hmm. of it aside. Uh, I just I, I feel for Tony Khan. Uh, he can't have a single big time pay per view without having to deal with backstage bullcrap, and um, <clears throat> that's why I will say that he does not need to have Omega and the Young Bucks as EVPs. No, they need to just either be wrestlers or be EVPs. Yeah, but <laughs> uh, yeah, at the end of the day, this is a good match. Um, not a whole lot to it. I, no, mean, I mean, we it, knew Hook was going to take the title off of him. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was, it was pretty much what it was. But it was, but it was, it was good. These guys are both really young, really talented. Um, Hook, I mean, he is just watching him. It's just so much fun. I'm an old turd right now. I'm watching him like he's like. I watched his dad, and when I watch him, I see his dad exactly. Like that's what I'm thinking too. Because when I watch him in the ring. He is a spitting image mm-hmm. of Taz when he was in the, in the ring. Mm-hmm. Exactly like him. Yeah, so it's... Not it, holding anything back, just laying into the guy. And his uh, red rum, I think, I would say it's better than Taz's. Well, hopefully, hopefully Taz doesn't hear this and, <laughs> and choke me out like he did Heyman. But Taz, lo- love you, but i got to give your son props. He's got great submission skills, yeah, which, no, which he learned from the best, so I'll give you that. 
Uh, yeah, it's one of those. Uh, I think if you're the if you're the coach and your guy is better than you, that's a, that's a, a feather in the cap. Exactly. But yeah, great great match, great build up, uh, and then we get to the main card. So the first match from the main card, we see Samoa Joe versus CM Punk. I'll say because we, we what both. You, what do you think about this? That this is this matches the curtain puller, curtain see, jerker. Anybody, honestly, I thought it was to... I thought it was good just because it was it had that nostalgia feel because. Mm-hmm. Everything about this like made me think back to their original matches when they were in Ring of Honor. Yep. Like, especially the ending when Punk pulled off the Pepsi Plunge. I have not seen him do the Pepsi Plunge in decades. decades. <laughs> when I saw him do that, I'm like, there's no way he's about to pull this off. But sure enough, he pulls Joe's arms up and lays him in for the Pepsi Plunge. I'm like, holy crap, I can't believe he pulled it off. Yeah. It's, but it's, this match was very... Just this true nostalgia feel for me because I just loved every single second of it. Of course, Joe's iconic walk off whenever someone goes for a high fly. I, like, I think that's I, I the like best how they, thing. I like how they teased it, and it was like Punk. You know, he, it's like he knows that Joe's gonna walk away. Yeah, so it's it. like Punk. You know, Punk was able to predict the first one, but then the second one, he's where he misses exactly. Um, but no, fan, fantastic match. Once again, I'm just gonna beat a dead horse here. You've got a guy, well, you've got two guys here that are probably two of the biggest names in the entire company. Um, and hopefully everybody shook their hand and said, thanks for the house. For real. Um, but you got these two guys, and they're, they're the curtain jerkers. And curtain jerking is never something to snub your nose at. I mean, uh, there's so many wrestlers who will say, if you're not main event, you want to be the first. Right. But, you know, these guys, they, they know what they're here for, and they're here to build up the new generation. And they gladly go on first. And the, you know, I wouldn't say that at this point both guys had worked for WWE. I don't really know that Joe really worked for WWE in the capacity to say that he's ever worked for a bigger crowd than this. But I would say, you know, for CM Punk, it's probably not as big of a crowd as what he's worked before. But to, you know, to go on first and to put on such a great, phenomenal match and set the tone for the rest of the night. Um, these, you know, these guys are, are, you know, they're old hats and they lead by example. Um, I, I'm excited that, uh, CM Punk got the win. I mean, we, we, we predicted that. Yeah, of course it was going to happen. And so it'll be interesting at this point to see, do we have the rubber match? Do we, you know, cause, uh, I, I guess I said it wrong. And during one of our episodes, I, I had thought, that it was that Joe had won all three of the original ROH matches, but when they uh, announced it, it reminded me that uh, no, one of them was a draw. Yeah. So you've got a draw, you've got two wins each. So another ma- one more match would be the true rubber. Yeah. So. So then uh, the question is, do we have that for All Out, or do we save that for the next big pay per view? Because All Out, they haven't really. I have no idea. At this point, I think there's like the only, two or, yeah, the only like match two or I know three of, matches. Yeah, total. the only match I know of is it's going to be Powerhouse Hobbs and Miro, uh, Darby Allen and Christian Cage, and then I think they no, just Darby recently... Darby Allen and Luchasaurus. Oh, yeah, Luchasaurus. Sorry, my bad. I can never tell who's the champion because they oh, yeah, keep Technically, it's Luchasaurus, but right. you would never know, and that's the greatness of Christian Cage. <laughs> exactly. And then I think just recently they announced that it's going to be Kenny Omega uh, versus Konosuke uh, Takeshita. Yeah, that was, that was, I want to say it was announced at All In, uh, or like by the end of it. Um, right. So... Yeah, I'm not really sure what All Out's really going to look like. Um, we'll have to see how injuries and everything like that play right. play then, into the situation. But then speaking of uh, Kenny Omega and Takeshita, then we get to the Golden Elite, where you have Kenny Omega, Hangman Adam Page, and Kota Ibushi taking on Bullet Club Gold in Jay White, Juice Robinson, and then Konosuke Takeshita. We were both wrong. On this one, because yeah, this is we thought for sure we're... that with Omega and his buddies being on the card, there's no way they're going to take a loss in this. But at the same time, you've got these give two guys. Up, I want to say this: give it up to Tony Khan. Anybody who has 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 criticized him for being too heavy, and we have been two of those people that have said that he's kowtowed to the elite too much in his booking. That you know, say. We predicted that they would win because they were the golden elite. Right. Uh, we predicted that the BCC would win because it was the BCC. This was a night for surprise talent. Yeah. Um, and that's what, one of the things that was really cool about this is like, you know, five years ago, all the guys who were like featured were all losing. And this, you know, they, they were bigger. They were bigger than ever. Uh, I don't think that anybody can make the case 
or argue that every person who was in the original All In that was also at this All In is a bigger name and had more presence and was more over than they even were five years ago. Right. And they're perpetuating the business, which yeah. is the best thing to see. This this all in was about the new age. Yeah. Um, and that was what was that was the thing I guess I, you know, at least speaking for myself, I didn't I didn't expect to see that. Right. And I was I mean, I, for this match, I, I mean, yeah, it was great just promoting the new talent in there cuz I think Takeshita is going to be a phenomenal talent with Don Callis cuz I mean, having that mouthpiece by his side is just only going to elevate him more. But yeah, he's still missing. He's still missing something for me. I can't really put it. I I can sit there and say obviously Mike skills, but you know he's got Callis to talk for him. Right. At the end of the day, I honestly just I I guess I'd probably like to see his work style maybe be a little bit more of a hybrid between the American professional wrestling style and the Japanese strong style. Yeah. Um. I feel like you know true Japanese strong style will only get you so far in yeah. in, in American professional wrestling. But I don't know what it is. Like I, I think he's super talented, but there's just something that keeps me from buying into Takeshita's. But hopefully that will go away. And um, I do feel like he's gotten better and more personality just in the the short time since he's come to AEW full time. Yeah, I mean this match it, it had great action like throughout, but the biggest thing that I just didn't like about it was just so much confusion during the match as to who was legal. Because, I mean... Yeah, it was hard to tell match, at the end who was actually legal. Yeah, because, like, everybody kept coming in. Everybody kept beating on each other. I'm just like, can there be some order as to who's legal or not? It, it was just confusion all the way around. But then there was some form of uh, order and control at some point in the match, like, towards the cl- end. Classic but, classic elite-style match, though. Very fast-paced, hard to keep up with everything that was going on. Right. And, and Very entertaining, but let's say, for, you know, for me... I do. I do like to. If if the ending is going to be a schmaz, I can kind of understand making who's legal really cloudy. <coughs> Excuse me. But if it's going to be a straightforward win, what's the point in in making the tags ambiguous? Right. I just don't get it. So yeah. yeah no, I mean, it, it was a good match. I could sit there and, and nitpick it for the sake of nitpicking, but actually, it was a really good match. Um, and I was really impressed by the fact that uh, the young the young talent got to go over here and are getting you know a good push from the win in such a huge setting. Absolutely. And then we have the Young Bucks versus FTR for the AEW World Tag Team Championships. I think this is probably, if not, one of the best tag team matches I have seen from these two, or probably in AEW. I definitely say it's the best one between the two, the 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 Bucks and FTR. Um, I think they're finally getting their their chemistry. Because uh, truth be told, their their first meetings um, in AEW were good, but I wouldn't I wouldn't put yeah. it I wouldn't put it at the top of either of their uh, cards. And right, best that's why I would say like, this one is probably the better of the exchange. Yeah, with the ones. and so but I thought this was a great tag team match between the two of them. You know, I like I said, I was expecting the Bucks to win this, uh, not honestly because of anything other than the the legal issues going on with with Cash Wheeler, but I guess you know the Tony feels confident, and you know, however the the situation may go, they they saw no reason to to call an audible here. Right, and you know, I think FTR needed the they they did need the win to be you know crowned as the modern day best tag team. I think we all agree that already. One hundred percent. Well, for, for the, the most Buck, part, for I the think. Bucks to kind of hand that off. Now I'll say at the end of the match there wasn't there wasn't a handshake. There was no resolution. Right. So it leads me to believe there's still an opportunity for um, for more between these two. Which I say after watching this match, I'm more excited about because I think that they finally started really understanding each other inside the ring. Yeah. And if we get another match, especially like a high stipulation match, I think we're going to see some real sparks fly between FTR and the Bucks. So that's, that's always exciting, but, uh, yeah, no, great, great match. Um, but, uh, I, I will say, uh, um, I was actually more, uh, impressed by the next match. Surprisingly. I, there was one thing that I was 
glad about, and I'll say it here in a second. But the next match was the Stadium Stampede, where you had the BCC mm-hmm. with Santana and Ortiz against Best Friends and Orange Cassidy, uh, Penta El Cerro Miedo, mm-hmm. and Eddie Kingston. Yep. I I mean, it was crazy action all the way through. The one thing I was glad about, and I'm sure Bill Weaver's going to listen to this and be making fun of me all the time i'm so glad that wild thing did not play throughout the entire freaking match oh that was that was one of my like most important things i had my remote in my hand and if wild thing played any longer than like till they got in the ring minutes yeah i was gonna be muting that it was gonna it was gonna get the button exactly um so glad that that only played during their entrance and nothing after that but yeah because i knew if they went second this was going to play Non-stop, over and over and over again. So what I'll say I actually liked about this match, of course it was a spot fest, it was a lot of chaos, and normally it's stuff that I'm very nitpicky about, but what where I actually really appreciated this match is that even with as much chaos and how all over the place it was, um, if you go back and watch this match and you watch the pacing and like how certain spots go and how uh, certain people are going around the arena... It tells its own little story. It's like its own little uh, journey. Right. And these different things happen, and they bring back connections to previous rivalry spots between these players. Right. And then, of course, at one point, we go from we, you, Penta Cerro gets bashed in, and we don't see him for a bit. And then we have Penta, Penta Oscuro. Oscuro comes out. Uh, that, along with. You know, everything going on with the Eddie and John. And what's great is how they kept, like, you know, like at the very beginning, you know, there's there's a hostility. But, you know, it's all about Eddie and Claudio at the very beginning. Right. And the very not until the very end with everything. Not until the very end do you get Eddie and John. And, you know, if not for Eddie going in at John, you know, the, 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 the rest of the team wouldn't have been able to get the pen to win. Right. But... Another thing I will say about this match is I almost lost my cookies when the the skewers the skewers and the that. head of John Moxley and they 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 he he pushed it in there and I'm like okay you know I can see how how they're making this look painful but it's not too bad and then he takes his hands off and they're still there yeah and then I go never mind yeah this is and then they sickening then they fan out. Like peacock feathers. Exactly. And at that point, I almost, like I said, tossed my biscuits. Um, uh, it it was Ugh. it that was probably one of the most um, epic visuals in professional wrestling that I've ever seen. I mean that I'm gonna have nightmares about that. Yeah, that that was like I said, that was one of those where it's like I I can't tell if I think it was awesome or horrific. It was just a combination yes. of both. Yes, yeah. it was like, both. It's one of those. I don't. I, I'm not going to put it up there with with Foley falling off this, getting thrown off the cell, just because. I'd say it was a close. Second. But it was. Yeah. It's 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 definitely in that same airspace. Right. Yeah. A crazy match all the way around, but great match overall. And then we have what I would say has been one of the best women's matches that they've had in AEW since they've opened this oh, thing I mar- up. Oh, I marked out I've, the minute, the minute, uh, the very beginning, they, they had me at the very beginning of this match. 100%. Like, just from the entrance. Just, I mean, you have Queen, Queen playing in Wembley Stadium. Yeah. And the I funny mean, thing is, like, everybody had their own tribute to Freddie Mercury. Yep. You had the Young Bucks, yeah, had their Chris tribute. Jericho doing Chris Jericho, Live Aid, uh, Soraya. Yep. I mean, everybody. The, but, yeah, the women's four-way with Hikaru Shida defending the women's championship against Soraya, Tony Storm, and Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. But yeah, when 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 Saray comes out to Queen and has her whole family there, that was that was such fantastic. a cool that was such a cool moment. I mean, we already predicted she was going to win at but that this, moment. There, I was like, this just I know it. she's winning yeah. now. There's no way that she's going to lose in front of her family. And then. Uh, you know, you're sitting there, well, okay, and I had told you, I was like, they're going to do something. There's going to be an issue with the outcast, the way that Tony Storm was, was talking. I, I, I predicted this. And the thing was, is I expected it to happen closer to the end of the match. And it fell apart, like, almost immediately. Right. Um, but once again, very cool storytelling here, how you had uh, Britt Baker and Hikaru Shida, who have had this, you know, rivalry since pretty much the beginning of AEW, essentially. And then you have 
pay you pay Soraya and Tony Storm, who are supposed to be friends going into this, and at the end of it, you've got these longtime rivals going at each other, and then you got these two that are supposed to be friends, and while the longtime rivals are engaged, you know, while while the DMD has has her in uh, the lockjaw, Paige is taking the cover. Well, she and she well, went, and she wins with with you know. That family move, that same move that won her her first world title. Exactly. And so the callbacks, the the storytelling, uh, you know, incorporating everything that's gone on up to that point. That's to say, that's when it goes from being just a match to being a work of art. Exactly. And it was a fa- it was fantastic. And to say, this is this this is the kind of stuff the women's division needs more of. Yes, and I'm so glad that Soraya is the champion now because mm-hmm. I think she is going to absolutely elevate oh, yeah. the women's division. I'm, I'm, exci- I mean, I'm excited to see what the they appearance. do here. Well, I would oh, say we saw, the, we the saw the multiple appearances. I would say the cameo of Mercedes Monet. They didn't just show her once. They showed her multiple times. Multiple times. They showed her multiple times during this match watching. And if you know the history between Soraya and Mercedes Monet. There's going to be something that's going to happen. You know there's going to be a big match here. And, you know, for anybody who's not aware, uh, Soraya, when she was Paige in WWE, had come back from uh, dealing with a lot of injuries and was, was wrestling again after you know taking substantial time off and was in a house show working with Sasha Banks, Mercedes Monet, and just a simple move, it wasn't really Sasha Banks doing the move wrong. It's just the fact that this business is this business and you know you can take so many bumps so many times perfectly fine. It just takes that one time. Exactly. Uh, and it you know that a kick to the back of the, the to the back of the neck and you know as far as WWE was concerned, that was the end of Paige's career. Exactly. So, you know, seeing Soraya here now and Mercedes there watching on, you know there's going to be... There's going to be a storyline. There's going to be a story there. There's going to be a great buildup. Um, I, I would say you saved this for Double or Nothing. Well, I would say as of this as of this uh, show that we're talking about, there hasn't been any, um, any news reports that would uh, actually even say that Mercedes Monet is um, able to wrestle right now. Um, she is still, for all intents and purposes, on medical absence from injury uh, during, I can't remember the show, but uh, when she was wrestling with Willow Nightingale. Um, was it Noah in, in New Japan or was it... Um something else it was it was Noah or something yeah it was it was in it was in Japan right I just don't know which promotion that it was but yeah it was um, you know, Mercedes Monet versus Willow Nightingale and she, she got injured um, you know she either dropped the title to Willow Nightingale or it was a tournament for the first champion I don't know but Willow Willow won that title and uh, Mercedes was was injured, so I don't know when they're going to be able to do it. But I agree, it needs to be, it needs to breathe, it needs to have a lot of time to be built up because that's going to be a huge match. I agree. So moving on, then we have the coffin match between Swerve Strickland and Christian Cage, and Christian Cage teaming up against Darby Allen and Sting. I mean this this match was pretty much what we expected it to be. This was. A grudge match from bell to bell. Yeah, the best and part of this match for me was uh, when they came out to Seek and Destroy by Metallica. I was just about to say, like, that was... That's old school Sting. Phenomenal. Yeah. That's... Another nostalgia feel for Sting. I grew up on Meta- I grew up on Metallica. That was, I think it was like the fourth or fifth song I learned to play on the guitar. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, that was, that was so awesome. Um, and it was a spot fest, but it was a good match, and... The you know the 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 comedy. What I do like about this group is you've got guy like Swerve Strickland, you know, who presents a very hard uh, character. Yeah. You know, and um, he's still very good about letting himself be the butt of certain jokes and things like that. Right. And you know, Darby Allen also comes off as very serious, but it's a, they're they're able to have these matches that are very intense, but also have moments of you know frivolity. And it's it's really nice to be able, you know when you're in the middle of a match and something pops you and you just can't help but laugh. Exactly. Uh, but it was a it was a good match. It was entertaining. It was definitely not my favorite match of the night, but uh, honestly, it was better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I agree. So then we go to Chris Jericho 
versus Will Ospreay. Called this one yeah, right from the get-go. Uh, it was close, and, though. Oh, yeah, definitely close. But I knew that at some point Ospreay was going I to like lay I said, in. I, well, this is one of those matches where I was sitting there watching. I was like, I don't know why I called this. I think that was so stupid. I'm going to totally get my armpit hair torn off. And as the match went on, I started, no, I think, I think I'm think i going to be. I yeah. think I'm. See, that's the thing that I was worried about. Because at one point, you're because this was that match where we were both like, is it possible that we're going to have a draw? Throughout this card, either, it was a, yeah, there was either going to be a draw or there was going to be some kind of a schmoz finish, you know. And I thought, I thought it was when you say when Sammy hit when him, I mean, he was great sell job by Osprey. He he looked like he was dead, yeah, like he was flattened out. And I was like, oh man, he's got him in the submission hold. But the minute I saw them lift his hand as opposed to just like, you know call it like yeah. him being out, so that's I what knew, I thought too. I, I like, know, I, I knew the minute they lifted his hand, they were going to do one, two, and then no, I'm not, and. You know, they didn't exactly do that, but it was the same central point. Um, one thing I'll say this, uh, I don't get, like, obviously it's a good match. It was, oh, I mean, I get it as far as, like, the marquee's the marquee. I don't really see where Chris Jericho goes from here. Uh, I don't really see what value the win gives Will Ospreay at this point. And just be, truth be told, I love Chris Jericho. Um but in this in this year, we've seen a lot of matches, and maybe it's just I I don't know I don't want to I'm not ever gonna I don't want to sign blame, but we've seen a lot of Chris Jericho matches over the last year where a lot of stuff doesn't sync up. Exactly. Uh, it's just like there's not really a point to it. It's just kind of there just for the sake of having a match. Yeah, and as well, what I'm talking about is also just in ring work, like right. The, the spot where Chris Jericho is going for the Osprey, does the Osprey cutter, doesn't even come close to getting it. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not going to say anything that's going to get me tarred, feathered, and thrown out of town, but I'm just, I'm wondering how many more Chris Jericho matches do we need to see? Or how many Chris Jericho matches are left? I how, mean, yeah, how many? He Chris, still can go for the most part, but all the Lionheart moves that he would do. Well, like, I, I think that Chris Jericho is someone like, you know, Larry Zabisco, Bobby the Brain Heenan. You know, um, talk about you know Gorilla Monsoon. He's somebody who doesn't at this point. He's done so much in the wrestling business, and he's so con- iconic to the wrestling business. And say, be a ring announcer. Yeah, I mean, he's great be, as a ring announcer or great as a co- uh, be, commentator. Be a, be a full-on manager. Yeah. Be, be a, a, a character or personality. Um, just don't, you know, don't... One of the best workers in the history of professional wrestling, it's sad to watch him miss moves that, you know, some of them wouldn't exist if not for him. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know? So, uh, you know, so this was a, this was a decent match, but, um, you know, hands off to Will Ospreay and Chris Jericho for the psychology of the match. Yes. But, uh, you know, it's a, it, once again, this was this was a good match. I feel like it could have been better, and, and I don't really know where they go from here. So it's like I... I, I mean, the, maybe they'll have something with Chris and Sammy, but it's like, where do you go from? I think, what well, do you do? I, well, I would rather see, I would rather see Will and Sammy. See, like, my thing was, that would like, be a great match. What I thought would have been a great finish, and this is just me arm, you know, armchair quarterbacking here, or armchair booking, is I would have liked to have seen Chris win with the, the Sammy Guevara shot, and then Osprey come out and be hot at Sammy. And for us to, you know, to build up either at All Out a week from now or build up for a pay-per-view and have Sammy versus Will Ospreay. Because Sammy Sammy needs the big matches at this point, not Chris Jericho. Right. Sammy, you know, he's had one marquee match thus far in his career at AEW, and that was the Four Pillars match. And he knocked it out of the park. I'd like to see Sammy Guevara in some of these big matches. You put Sammy Guevara against Will Ospreay. You've got a great that's, match right I mean, there. That's, that, that, that would probably look like... I would like, say close to main event caliber match. I mean, that's a close to main event caliber match. And I say we'll probably see a match similar to when we saw Will Ospreay versus Ricochet years and years ago. And people have been talking about that match. And I say, I mean, it's, it's been almost seven or eight years since that match happened. Yeah. Um, and it's still one of the best, you know, still some of the best series of matches or best matches ever. So I, I would I would love to see Sammy versus, versus Will, but we continue. Yeah. Then we get into the Trios Tag Team Championship match where we have the House of Black versus the Acclaimed and 
Billy Gunn. Not Daddy A. I'm keeping that there. Just B.A. Billy Gunn. B.A. Billy Gunn. This match was really good, I think. Great storytelling all throughout the match. I will say this. Of all the guys that were around during the like late 80s, early, uh, early 90s or so, or during the Attitude Era, mm-hmm. Billy Gunn is one of those guys who is still in phenomenal shape mm-hmm. and can still go like he's in his 20s or 30s. Oh, I mean, he's in, he's he in amazing shape. Amazing. And then his, his work rate and how he's worked his entire career, he's never taken... He's never taken unnecessary huge bumps. Right. So he's been able to have a good career... And he's always been more of a less is more kind of kind of guy. I mean, you yeah. know, even on his mic work, and he's responsible for, like I said, he's responsible for a lot of my uh, uh, referrals in uh, elementary and middle school. So, uh, and he's responsible for many young children's referrals nowadays with exactly. the uh, scissoring. So <laughs> you got a guy who really just, like I said, he knows how to work what needs to be worked and not overdo it there and say take good care of him. So I mean, he's 60 years old. See that just blows my mind because I mean, he does not look like he's sixty. Like he looks like he could be maybe at the latest. I'd say early fifties, maybe. Yeah, I mean he yeah he just he looks phenomenal and phenomenal uh, shape. Yeah, he's just, he's a, he's a treasure. The I love the seeing, best part of the entire match is when he tells Julia Hart to suck it, and then uh, they have a the scissor fiesta, the, yeah, the scissor timbers. timbers. Yep, uh, great great spot. The crowd loved it. Um, you know, this was just a feel good match. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, what they do with the House of Black moving forward. If they're going to try to get the titles back or if they'll have them kind of more. Uh, what I'd like to see is I'd like to see Brody and Buddy be, you know, possible tag team champions. And I'd like to see Malachi go after either the TNT title or the world title. Either one I think would be great. I'd love to see him go for the world title. I'd love to see him go for the world title. I just, I know that that, uh, that, area right now has already got a few contenders and you know my thought is instead of muddying the waters with even more great contenders for the world title why not have really great contender a few really great contenders for the tnt title and try to see if we can't make that title mean a little bit more than it has recently exactly and i think coming up i think darby allen will be the one that makes that title a little bit more relevant and puts more to it than. Oh yeah, just imagine if Darby wins the title and Malachi goes after it. It's going to be a great match. I mean, we've already seen them work together; they can work just fine. So it'll be yeah, that'll be interesting to see. So now we get to uh, the main event, the main course, baby. We get to this. We get to the steak with the black truffle butter on top. I will say this is probably. I'm going to go ahead and go on record and say it. This is the best match I have ever seen in my life. Really, you're gonna go that. I'm strong? I'm gonna go that strong just because the storytelling from bell to bell was incredible. Because we knew at some point there may have been a turn, or there was gonna be some kind of ringside interference, and we mm-hmm. saw that a little bit with Roderick Strong. But the back and forth throughout this match, the storytelling throughout the entirety of it, it was to me, if I could give it 50 stars, I would. Yeah, I thought this was. An incredible match. Adam Cole is a phenomenal talent. Has been for years. Oh, yeah. MJF, he says it himself, a generational talent. One of the best to do it today. Mm -hmm. You have these two guys that are the main event in any situation that you put them in. Yeah. And this match, to me, was the highlight of the night. One of the best matches that AEW has put on by far. No doubt. I mean, this is probably one of the best matches in AEW hands down no questions asked can I uh, I don't think I can go as bold as you and say it's the best match I've ever seen but I will say like I said this is the best this is one of the best matches AEW's ever put on and like I've said multiple times over the last couple weeks with MJF and Adam Cole like I said earlier in this this episode these guys are doing something that nobody else in the company is really doing well and that is Ring psychology. Exactly. That is working the crowd and working the emotions and the story. So that's the thing that I loved about this is that throughout the entire match, I mean, because as, pro- as professional we, wrestling fans. We had spots yeah. and things like that that made us go, ooh, ah, like the German suplex onto the uh, 
the outside of the ring. Right. The, the uh, Panama Sunrise from the apron down to the floor. Yeah, the was it soup or brain buster onto the seal steps? Oh man, that one actually that, that one did like the the angle they shot that at was was really truly perfect. Yes. It looked like a really badly placed brain buster. Because yeah, I think MJF got like a laceration on his shoulder whenever he landed. Oh, he on that. definitely got hurt on that one. When they showed it back, I saw the angle. It still wasn't a great angle, but I could see where the feet could hit the ground at the same time as the back. Like you're still getting loaded, but you're not getting like a severed cervical, you know. Yeah. The, the first camera shot of that one when I saw that, I I I did. I I went I I was sitting next to my wife. I go, "Hey babe, watch this back again." Yeah. Cuz it 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 made me nervous. That yes. one like and, and to MJF's credit, he sold it wonderfully. Oh, it was beautiful. Um, it was. I mean, I, I knowing what I know and how to watch it, it's, I knew he wasn't hurt the minute he hit the ground. The, you know, I knew that there was a, a situation where the ref checked him and he's fine. But man, it it it, it did not look like he was fine at first. Exactly. So that was fantastic. See, that's what I'm saying. Like all throughout this match, it made me like, jump off the edge of my seat yeah. just because there were so many moments where it's like. Is this how it's going to end, or are they going to go this route? What's going to happen here? I thought it was going to end here. It made me feel like like there was something amazing about to happen or something shocking about to happen all throughout this match. Just because it's like you said, it made us feel something. It made us that ring psychology, working the crowd, working the fans, was top top ten level, like top tier. I was crowd yeah, it was it was a fantastic, and even to the to the end of the match, you know where you. Where you know, say Roddy comes out, and like I said, we both thought that Roddy and the Kingdom were going to come out and be with MJF, and that's not the case. Um, and both guys, you know, they they pulled out their tricks. Both guys, they they took underhanded shots, but it didn't. They respect it. You, throughout the match, they're respecting what each other did. Uh, and it was, I said, it made for a great match. It was very entertaining. I love the Eddie Guerrero spot yes. with the chair. That was amazing. That I mean, that was just. I'll I mean, tell you what spot that really had me excited was the repeat of whenever they had the draw. Yes. And Adam goes five, five more, more minutes, minutes, and then you hear MJF say no. He goes, "We're not going five minutes. We're not even going ten minutes. We're going until there's a freaking winner." Yep. And I'm like, "Let's." Go. I mean, the crowd. I said the crowd popped for that because I said none of us were expecting that. This was a match where we were waiting for something to happen the entire time, and and good on them. They subverted our expectations. They made it make sense, and they gave us something that uh, we can still kind of work with. I think we're gonna see the turn sooner or later. It's gonna happen. It just hasn't happened, and hopefully, it happens before this this storyline runs its its course, kind of like the bloodline has gotten. But you know, fantastic pay per view. Absolutely fantastic work from top to bottom. Uh, if you guys haven't seen it, if you can see it, by all means, go back and watch. Go check it out. It is probably one of the best pay-per-views that AEW has put together. Not just counting the crowd interaction, but also the matches. I oh, think, this was their strongest. Yeah, definitely their strongest, opinion. if not one of. But definitely one of the best ones they've put on so far. But guys, that's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, at 5 Star Jobbers. Email us as well if you've got any comments, anything you'd like to share with us. But as always, keep it five stars.